Um, tell me about yourself. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I think people are really going to be interested in your insights. I've had a look through your, your LinkedIn. Um, I've had a look look through, you know, some of your past careers and stuff, and it seems really interesting. I think you have a, a mutual friend, Codestrap or Dorian on LinkedIn too. I'm not sure if you know him. Um, but yeah, I've had him. I've been uh, uh, following um, his channel as well, right? I mean, and uh, some of the Palander Weekly uh, live as well. But before we get started, right? I mean, I did one disclaimer here, right? Uh, uh, whatever I uh, speak here is primarily from uh, my point of view as an individual investor and has nothing to do with uh, any of my past, previous or sure. current or future employers, right? Sure. Uh, and uh, this is not an investing advice, right? Uh, it's uh, just something that I do for my own family's investment, basically, you know? Yep. Awesome. So t tell me about what you do, what, like where your background is. Is it, in, is it in tech, IT? Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I've been uh, in the software industry for about uh, 25 years. Um, and uh, I started my career back in India uh, and uh, been in the States for almost uh, 24 years you now. Uh, and uh, started as a software engineer. Uh, that's my profession. And uh, uh, I do engineering management at different levels uh, at uh, multiple uh, fortune. I have done engineering management at multiple fortune 500 companies uh, by now, built teams from scratch, you know, led existing teams, delivered products that uh, have been used uh, uh, by millions of end users, right? Um, mm. There are, uh, as you can see from my profile, there are companies where some things have not worked out and uh, basically like, you know, some things where things have worked out, right? Uh, but I wouldn't go too much into uh, uh, detail, uh, sure. like, you know, regarding my employers or the projects there or anything like that. Right? Absolutely. Um, so what, what do you do actually day to day? What does the software uh, engineer consist of? Could you just speak towards that briefly? I'm really interested. So I currently manage, uh, like, you know, in one of the e-commerce uh, companies, I manage uh, a supply chain related backend teams uh, that's okay. what i do um, but uh, over the past 25 years i have worked across the technology stack right uh, i started my career back in india so like you know writing device drivers for uh, uh, like you know cards that go into cisco systems switches right yeah uh, and then from there i i have done a bit of mobile development uh, and like you know led the the email team at BlackBerry, right? Mm. And then uh, worked at uh, interesting companies like Akamai um, and uh, the place where I'm currently at. So my technology exposure to my technology stack is uh, quite deep uh, mm. so that I can understand basically like, you know, when I, when we talk about like, you know, the technology that uh, Palantir is working on, I can understand yeah. it, right? I mean, uh, I, ha I don't have direct exposure to Foundry or Mm. Uh, you know, the tech stack there, uh, but at least I can understand, like, you know, uh, the concepts there, right? I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's a bit about me, actually. Yes, yeah, thank you so much. I think that'll be, that'll be really good for some context uh, as people watch. Um, tell me then, how would you describe Foundry or how would you describe Palantir uh, to the average person? Because from my experience, it's a very deep product. It's a very interesting product. The PR team... Uh, hasn't, I believe, done the best job at explaining what Foundry actually does. Could you give kind of your expertise in terms of uh, describing Foundry, uh, what it actually is? What does an operating system mean? So this is, uh, 
something that I myself have gained understanding over a period of time, right? I mean, and uh, you can, without the right uh, level of PR, you can really make out or read some of these things between the lines there, right? I mean, where they are going, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the very first time I am hearing about uh, Palander um, and Foundry, uh, Palander is uh, like, you know, in the 2010 time frame, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that was when they, when they were like, you know, post September 11, they were in the intelligence yeah. CIA initiatives and all of that. That's when I first hear about them. And then later on, basically like, you know, um, uh, I had a, an opportunity to dig a bit more deeper around 2013, 2014, that time frame, uh, because one of the acquaintances that I knew uh, uh, worked there, right? I mean, so, 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 uh, but I am not in touch with that person or whatever, but uh, the, I, dig a bit deeper into what that company does and all of that at that point of time, right? So it's the, my initial understanding was that basically, oh, this is uh, an analytics company, right? I mean, uh, essentially uh, disparate data uh, systems, right? I mean, uh, connecting those together and gathering useful business intelligence uh, for enterprises. So that's, that's, that was my initial understanding. But then... Uh, when they uh, did I, uh, the uh, DPO, I uh, I started dollar cost averaging into it, and that's from the time when I basically like you know started digging a bit more deeper through the community itself, right? I mean, uh, uh, and uh, like you know information that they provide on their site, right? So essentially, I mean the single uh, definition I was just looking up what uh, what they do, right? I mean, or how they call foundry. Uh, they call it as the operating system for modern enterprise. I mean, that uh, the, the implications of that is pretty pretty massive, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you think about it, basically, one of the fundamental problems in this uh, space today, in the enterprise space today, is the fact that there, the data is disconnected, right? I mean, the like, for example, the supply chain doesn't know what the accounting does or the mm -hmm. accounting doesn't know what the inventory management does. You know, yeah, there are systems that try to bring it together, but not from an organic kind of perspective, right? Um, and uh, so imagine the power of data, right? And the, like, you know, power of information when you have a single system that can basically like, you know, control all of this, right? Mm. Right, I mean, and uh, these disconnected set of applications that doesn't know about the backend, that doesn't know about the data uh, behind that backend, right? That causes a lot of inefficiencies uh, for businesses, right? In a single uh, line, my understanding is that basically, like, you know, uh, Foundry is a product that essentially will solve that kind of inefficiencies, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty thick product. I mean, I know there is a lot of uh, that discussion happening, like, you know, whether it should be a thick approach yep. versus a thin approach that uh, will, win in, will win in the long run. Um, Do you think that is necessary? Uh, can I just touch upon that? Do you think modularization is necessary for Palantir? I mean, it, you know, if you think about your typical organization, um, the idea of having an invasive software solution is pretty... Um, it's, it's a lot to ask for. And specifically when you don't have, you know, a free trial for Foundry, 
specifically when you don't have uh, the ability to kind of use Foundry as a developer in some sort of development mode. Um, it's pretty big thing to ask for to kind of adopt this expensive software solution that is so invasive. Do you think that that modularity is necessary for Palantir to kind of integrate itself into more organizations? Yeah, it is. It is definitely important. But at the same time, there are a couple of other angles to think about, right? I mean, okay. the, the fact that basically more than the modularity aspect of it, right, the key factor that I see at least is missing is basically the developer community, right? Uh, the sooner yeah. That is brought in. I mean, Rust will fall into uh, into into place basically, right? Because uh, the developers themselves will basically be requesting uh, their head of the departments to for this software if that is indeed solving their problems, basically, right? Uh, so yeah, like uh, the. And regarding the thick versus thin product, right? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a couple of examples there, not probably from the software uh, realm, right? I mean, if you think about basically like, you know, the car yeah. manufacturers, right? I mean, uh, like, you know, a BMW or a Tesla. I mean, did they start out by um, uh, giving out the, uh, by uh, selling the X1? Or did they, they start out by selling the like you know model three, or did they start out at the high end and then basically like you know uh, down. So that that's a different go-to-market strategy. It is kind of rather uh, unconventional when you think about uh, software space, right? Uh, but there are definitely examples even even in the uh, software hardware combined marketplace. Uh, where the top of the food chain was attacked first mm -hmm. and then basically like, you know, drill down, right? Like, for example, iPhone, right? I mean, when it came mm -hmm. out, what was their market share, right? I mean, and uh, there was a lot of discussions at that time saying that, like, you know, Android will gain the market share and basically Android has the market share and, like, you know, this is not accessible to the common man, that kind of thing, right? I mean, yeah, think about how long it took uh, Apple to release an iPhone SE, right? Uh, the, so that's a different marketing approach, right? I mean, uh, sure. uh, as long as they bring in the developer community along for the yeah. ride, right? I mean, uh, it it will basically like you know work out. The the other uh, thing that I want to touch base uh, was that sure. basically like you know, um, so every time you try to analyze what Foundry is or what Palantir is, right? I mean, uh, it the seems like i mean this is an iceberg in the making and you are only seeing like you know a portion of the iceberg yeah i mean okay it is an analytic solution but then it is like you know you dive in it's like oh the data i mean it's a, it's a no code solution right yeah. it, it and it uh, there is ai behind it and it basically learns over a period of time right mm. you dig a bit uh, further it is like oh there is capability to basically like you know write back yeah right I mean, imagine the implications of that, basically, right? Like, you know, once you, I, I mean, the traditional systems like, I mean, Snowflake are essentially, uh, Snowflake or the other ones are basically like, I mean, a read kind of system, basically, right? And if there is a write back capability, there is a potential here that basically this could be the underlying, basically, data platform pure underlying data platform, right? I mean, because at some point, they, they have both the read and write 
uh, interfaces and they can control the rest basically mm. right about about that right and that you go further deep in i mean i didn't understand that this part that i'm talking about uh, until coachstrap made it a bit more clear in one of the after he got access to foundry right that's the implication of uh, or the ability to develop applications on top of it right i mean that's a completely game changer right i mean imagine basically like you know today you have so many of these disparate data systems and disconnected applications on top of that like i mean there is a tableau there is salesforce there is like you know service now these are all enterprise applications that are used but disconnected data sets basically right underneath now imagine the possibility of basically like you know if this really pans out as a like you know enterprise operating system the connected applications on top of that and the ecosystem that it brings along basically right i mean the implication of that is huge basically yeah. right uh, that is my investment thesis on uh, balander and it's again one of those games where uh, this is a company that is growing at uh, 30% gigger that cadence was <laughs> recently changed a little bit but uh, somewhere in the 25% Kager, uh, right? I mean, uh, worst case, this is a 2x or 3x uh, kind of opportunity in the next five years, right? Mm. And uh, I'll take that, right? I mean, and uh, the best case scenario here is that it is probably like a you know, 50 to 100 bag, x bag from yeah. this point of time. That, that is the yeah. thing with, with Palantir. Um, I, I still believe we're at a very early stage of Foundry's adoption worldwide. And 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 when you look at the, the, some of those features you mentioned, for example, um, the application development scene, you know, the ability for low-code, no-code, that completely transforms an organization. When you empower individuals who previously could not, could, could not code, they were non-technical users. By empowering these users to, to, to bring value to your organization, that totally revolutionizes um, the, the whole game of your organization. Sorry if, if I interrupted you. Was there something else you wanted to say? No, no, no. You're absolutely right there, right? I mean, so uh, the the having seen many of these things from the inside, right? I mean, one of the fundamental uh, challenges that the business side of usually has is basically like, you know, the engineer to get is, is the like, you know, uh, difficulty in getting the engineering cycles, mm. right? So if you have a system that you can basically like, you know, with the low code or no code solution, they can adapt that data, the presentation of that data themselves, right? They can fine tune how they get that, right? That, that's a massive win actually, like, you know, and uh, they can adapt their marketing strategy or like, you know, their business strategy is based on that. It is a huge win for the business side actually, right? I, I couldn't agree more. Tell me then, I think you touched upon Snowflake briefly. I'm not sure if you have much experience looking at the Snowflake um, and these other kind of software <clears throat> companies like C3 AI. Could you explain maybe if, if you know um, the, the differences between Snowflake and Palantir uh, and why perhaps Snowflake does or doesn't do something similar? I'm not sure if you if you know about that. Sorry if, you, if I put you on the spot. So, so C3 AI, I don't have much uh, sure. like, you know, knowledge about, right, or exposure to. I mean, what I know is that they have an infrastructure to publish uh, a ML models, you know, act as like, you know, something similar to what uh, Palder also has, right? I mean, like, you know, an infrastructure to basically like, you know, easily deploy uh, like, you know, ML models and, uh, you know, build pipelines uh, out, right? 
Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, 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 but regarding snowflake, right? I mean, um, essentially, uh, I had exposure to it, right? I mean, but that was uh, four years back, right? I mean, uh, in one of my previous uh, workplaces, I did have exposure to that. I mean, uh, at that time, maybe things were uh, not as developed. I mean, they do have a pretty good marketing team and uh, mm. sales team and all of that. From a technology perspective, I don't. I don't think it scales at that at that time. Okay. Right? It, it didn't scale at that time. Right? I mean, he had like I mean a billion records that were coming into a database, and uh, you know, uh, getting queries done anytime, any real time queries done to it. It was not uh, feasible at that point of time. I'm sure things might have evolved after yeah. that. Right? I mean, and they are. Uh, the other aspect is basically if you need to do that. The computational power that you need to spend behind it also uh, has to be enormous, basically, right? I mean, to achieve real-time queries on a that bigger data set, right? I mean, and uh, we didn't have the budget to basically, you know, uh, uh, scale it up yeah. that heavily, right? Because the product line was not bringing in the needed revenue to justify that kind of an exp expenditure, basically. I mean, this was. Uh, as I said, right, I mean, more than four years back. I don't know where exactly things stand uh, today. I mean, I see at least from some of the other discussions in the uh, community, I see that basically they have evolved quite a bit from there. They are adding, uh, like, you know, other different uh, product lines, right, uh, to their offering and all of that, right? I mean, there is definitely a concern there, right? I mean, and uh, to uh, not for the scaling perspective. I mean, the, the concern is that basically even uh, the supporters of basically like, you know, the growth for Snowflake, right? I mean, uh, agree to the fact that, right, I mean, it is going to be an inorganic growth from uh, this point of time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, speak about inorganic growth, right? I mean, uh, that is, it is very difficult to basically like, you know, uh, merge the cultures of uh, like, you know, the companies that you are bringing in, integrate the product lines. It is not an easy task. It is not like a one plus one equal to two kind of equation, basically, right? Uh, at least for a, you know, uh, duration of time, it will be like, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the effects will be, uh, the productivity will drop, like, you know, right okay. after a merger, right? right? I mean, the combined productivity will not be, you know, uh, just the straight sum or an improved efficiency of the straight sum, right? That Absolutely. is the challenge that I, I think Snowflake has uh, in their, you know, uh, path ahead, basically. Yeah, but no, I, I agree. Yeah. I think that, I think that like, a general rule of thumb that is pretty well acknowledged now is the fact that Snowflake, they have much thinner offerings, the tools... Um, don't bring you to time to value as easily. Uh, they are useful, don't get me wrong, they're very useful, but it's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's different to to the likes of Palantir, which is focused on low-code, no-code functionality, the, the ontology in which we maybe can touch upon momentarily. Another thing that's really vital to note is the sales force of Palantir after doing, you know, 1.5, whatever it was, billion dollars in revenue um, uh, recently. I mean, the sales force of Palantir is at 1.5% of the whole organization. It's about 41 individuals out of over 3,000 within the whole company. Uh, who are fully trained to sell the software. I, I have a question for you, because I think we can all agree we're very, perhaps very optimistic when it comes to the ramp up of the sales force, in which is obviously happening now, um, albeit very slowly. Uh, can you tell me the, the issues maybe associated with selling 
software uh, like Palantir? Do you think this is going to be an easy ride for the Salesforce to do? Or are investors maybe uh, underestimating the challenges ahead when it comes to selling this solution? <laughs> Sorry. So there are definitely challenges there, right? I mean, uh, primarily because uh, in enterprise sector, uh, at least the initial set of these calls, uh, th these uh, sales are made through the connections, right? Mm. So if you are outsized in terms of that uh, connections and business contacts that you have, right? Uh, there is definitely a disadvantage there, right? Uh, that said, right? I mean, if the product is good, right? Mm. Uh, obviously, there are going to be companies with deep pockets who are coming in. Uh, to, to get that basically like, you know, uh, yeah. benefit, right? I mean, and the other angle here is that basically it, uh, uh, also when when a couple of uh, serious company, uh, serious players in a market adopts a Palantir Foundry and start getting the benefits, right? Uh, rest, of the, rest of the pack uh, in that industry is kind of forced to mm. uh, get that. Right, because I mean, uh, you know, you can be very clear that I mean, uh, there is no solution today that offers uh, the competitive advantage uh, from a data perspective, data, uh, real-time data analysis perspective. Right? I mean, uh, it, is, it is proven. Right? I mean, like you know, look at the recent uh, uh, Ukraine uh, situation itself. Right? I mean, everyone knows that basically they are involved. Right? Unrest uh, involved. In it. Right. I mean, um, it's uh, uh, so. So if it if it's a software that can be used in that kind of an environment, right? It will definitely provide serious advantages to businesses uh, who are adapting, right? And at some point, the competition will need to basically, like you know, um, adapt that, right? I mean, uh, yeah. The, fact that uh, to answer your question directly the sales having the right sales and the business development that's definitely important that that is not an easy challenge though right as investors we definitely have to be patient and give the company the needed time right uh, for that to evolve right i mean and the only other thing that could really happen here is like you know a potential acquisition right uh, and uh, the US, and uh, there is probably only one company in the enterprise space with that kind of deep pockets right uh, and it, it it obviously has to be a us company for you know mm. uh, the obvious reasons right i mean and there is there is only one such company which uh, recently did that kind of a mega you know acquisition mm. uh, or at least in the works 85 billion dollar acquisition right i mean uh, not that many companies with that kind of deep pockets right uh, if the uh, that's the uh, I, that's the way i see this panning out right i mean if their sales or go to market strategy does not figure out end of the day they will get uh, acquired you know i mean uh, because investors uh, even the initial founding investors are in to like you know yeah. Uh, get returns, right? Okay. I mean, uh, in addition to all the other good things uh, regarding civil liberties or data rights and all of that, right? I mean, uh, end of the day, there is also the question of return. So at some point, if they are not, um, like, you know, 
delivering that returns, it will pan out into an acquisition, basically, right? Sure. Uh, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, tell me about. So, I believe your your speciality is is within supply chains, as you said already. Can you tell me some of the issues that you've maybe recently experienced with the the whole wave of COVID? Obviously, supply chains have been really disrupted in the past few years. Can you tell me some of the issues with with supply chains and software, and how potentially Palantir Foundry could could solve that? The, uh, yeah. So this is again basically like you know it is a set of disconnected uh, set of services that are basically like you know driving the supply chain, right? Um, without getting too much into the specifics regarding any anything that uh, my employer does, right? I mean. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is essentially a disconnected set of uh, data that uh, most of these supply chains are operating on, right? I mean, like, for example, the trucking providers does not know, right? I mean, uh, what the inventory situation is, right? Uh, or whether, like, you know, things could be optimally routed, right? So if that is the case, imagine if uh, vertical, it looks like, I mean, Palantir is doing that, right? I mean, they are tackling one vertical by one vertical first and basically integrating with a couple of players in each of those verticals and then having the rest of the industry catch up basically right imagine the power of uh, uh, that in supply chain itself if basically like you know vendors are connected to the suppliers and basically like you know if uh, uh, that they are all operating on under the same uh, above the same data set and these are there are connected applications on top right that can leverage efficiency for business. Imagine the benefits there, right? I mean, uh, yeah. And the recent challenges in supply chains, primarily, it's it's uh, it ha it is a quick adaptation that it, things had to be done, right? And uh, yeah, primarily because the data is disconnected, right? I mean. Uh, one party doesn't know about the full yeah. details of about the other party on a real time basis, right? I mean that is essentially what. Uh, and since they don't have the detail, they can't adapt that quickly, right? That's what led to basically like you know the uh, lack of adaptation there, right? And obviously there are physical uh, issue, physical goods moving issues, right? I mean that that. Uh, uh, was uh, one of the main reasons ports were backed up, right? I mean, uh, for quite a while. And once these pipelines actually get backed up, things uh, take time to recover, basically, right? I mean, China is still, like, you know, on and off when it comes to basically, like, you know, uh, opening up. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good answer. Uh, and it's interesting to hear um, some of those insights. Palantir's probably, Palantir, I think Gartner recently released, a, they, they released a report yesterday and they labeled Palantir as a visionary um, within the data scene. Um, they mentioned within the kind of their, their notes uh, on Palantir Foundry that the ontology was basically the main piece of the puzzle uh, in which really set Palantir apart uh, above anything else. Do you, could you speak towards the ontology? What is the ontology um, and maybe how, how does that Help. Yeah, so it's basically building building a picture of this the connected uh, data sets, right? I mean, and so that you can essentially ask the question, right? Uh, to that ontology, you can ask the questions uh, that are relevant for the business, right? I mean, that is that is that is the argument there, right? I'll give another example here yeah. that everyone can understand, right? I mean, there is a, there is another company uh, without naming any names, right? I mean. Uh, 
who has basically the data ontology of uh, pretty much every consumer, right? Whether it is search, whether it is email, whether it is like, you know, uh, the videos that you watch, right? I mean, it is directly faced at the consumer side, right? I mean, like, you know, they can pick up basically like, you know, the fact that oh, you, you watch this on this particular device, uh, or do you want to continue this watching on this other device, you know? Uh, so, so it's not a totally new concept, uh, and uh, essentially uh, that's a consumer facing for whatever the arguments that uh, this company has, right? I mean, uh, but at the same time, uh, this is an enterprise facing uh, data ontology. I mean, so you can think of it that way, basically, right? I mean, uh, imagine the power. Uh, of the information that you can pull out of that data set, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> if you have a data ontology that is similar to what uh, this uh, big search player has, right? I agree. I, I think I, I like to think of, um, you know, the ontology as some sort of digital twin for, for Palantir, uh, the ability to simulate, predict, prevent. It takes data in, into contextual um, principles. So people, things, places, etc. Um, this is in comparison to, you know, all the software in which obviously that that isn't available. So it was interesting to hear Gantner's point of view um, when it comes to uh, the ontology really being the, the main piece of the puzzle. Just just last few questions, maybe in the last 10 minutes, because um, I don't want to keep you for too long. Uh, I understand you're very busy and I thank you for your time. Um, please tell me about Alex Karp. Many people recently, I'm not sure if you got a chance to listen to the recent earnings call, but many people were, were very critical of Alex Karp. Um, they think, you know, perhaps he's a bit too arrogant. He's not a technical guy. Do you have any opinions of, of Alex Karp when it comes to uh, being a visionary? Is he the next um, Steve Jobs, as many call him? Or is that too uh, speculative? It's quite possible, right? I mean, uh, see, I mean, end of the day, I mean, uh, what I consider as basically like, you know, he's at least a thousand times smarter than... Uh, uh, people like me, right? I mean, uh, so if, if anyone who can basically like, you know, take a company from a million dollar investment to $20 billion investment, he knows a thing or two, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, so leave some of these things to basically the best judgment for that uh, individual. And uh, basically like, you know, things will pan out, right? I mean, now from the previous earnings call, there are definitely a few things that I was basically like, you know, uh, thinking if it happened a bit different, it would have been better, right? Like, you know, like handling the questions uh, from investors, uh, retail investors or Wall Street investors, right? It could be done in a bit more investor-friendly way, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, I don't think it is uh, what you what has been talked about as arrogance or whatever. It is just the approach that he does, right? I mean, uh, that comes off as uh, different for different people, right? I mean, uh, it's uh, the key thing there is that, like, you know, there are situations where basically, like, you know, the uh, you need a different person than basically, like, you know, the original founder to basically take it from a... yeah. Uh, zero to 10 billion from 10 to 100 or 100 to 200. I mean, this is, a, I'm not saying this from my own experience, right? I mean, I'm saying this from the way other, com I have seen in other companies, right? I mean, basically like, you know, 
for example, Google had a very similar situation, right? I mean, when they uh, replaced the original, or when the original CEOs actually stepped down and brought in basically like, you know, someone else. And I believe, I mean, if a situation like that arises, uh, where uh, Dr. Garf himself doesn't think that he can manage this uh, uh, well for the company, you might see other, uh, like, you know, folks being brought in, right? I mean, that doesn't even mean that basically he is stepping down, right? He has, a, from what I have at least seen the community and uh, heard, the, like, you know, he has quite a bit of influence, like, you know, within the org, within the employees, right? I mean, he's well-respected leader, mm. right? Um, when it comes to inter interacting with Wall Street, things could be definitely a bit more better. I mean, and that's that's uh, good for all investors, including the founding investors, right? I mean, if it is done that way, right? Yeah, that's that's the thing with Alex Karp. He's really um, iconoclastic. I think is the word. He's he's pretty much against conventional beliefs on Wall Street. He doesn't like these quarterly quarter to quarter short term mindsets he doesn't like these quarterly reports really he doesn't really like doing conference calls he never really has done them much in the past he's more focused i believe on on the business he he's focused on the long term vision are you concerned when you look at the quarterly call uh, about the governmental slowdown for palantir or is this just lumpiness alex Cobb himself did say that um over the long term over a period of 10 15 years the CAGA within the government is um, is outstanding. Um, there's there's lumpiness in the short term, but over the long term, there's kind of an exponential growth curve. Are you concerned about the government? Do you see um, more geopolitical events occurring within the future, and which is kind of going to accelerate the necessity for Palantir? I'm not worried uh, too much about that. It's primarily the lumpiness, and uh, even from the other reports, right? I mean, you can very clearly see who is involved in many of these kind of situations when the government needs help, right? Yeah. And uh, it will; those contracts will eventually pan out, right? I mean, it's just a matter of time. Uh, and government industry, the government sector is a bit uh, slow when it comes to accounting and budgeting and all of that, right? I mean, that is probably essentially what you're seeing there, right? I mean, and traditionally, things should pick up uh, from uh, Q4, basically. You know, most of those contracts uh, tend to wrap up. Uh, towards uh, the the financial year, I believe starts on October first. Uh, I I know that from like you know the budget when I was an immigrant, basically like you know uh, USCIS used to have the quota uh, numbers for first uh, October first onwards. Right, that's essentially based on their budgeting and all of that, right? Annual budgeting and all of that. So. Uh, Q3, Q4. I mean, you should definitely see some of those pick up. Primarily Q4 some of those contracts should get picked up. And uh, I believe that, like, you know, with the uh, uh, countries in Europe, uh, like, you know, starting to spend quite a bit more uh, for their defense, you should see a sizable number of contracts panning out uh, over the, you know, uh, Q1, Q2 kind of time frame for 2023, right? So it, it's just, it's so hard to predict. It's kind of in the short term when these contracts yeah. are going to come through. The government's, you know, innately kind of inefficient at places. Um, it, it's not that productive, you know, when it comes to signing contracts on time. And this has been reiterated by the management uh, many times. So I uphold that for you. Um, I think that over the long run, the government is going to to excel uh, perfectly. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I don't want to take too much of your time. I understand you're very busy. Uh, thank you so much for um, 
giving the opportunity to explain your point of view. It's, it's really insightful to hear uh, from someone with your expertise uh, about, you know, about this side of Palantir. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been a total honor to speak to you. Yeah, th th thank you so much, Christian. If you have uh, another minute, I mean, I would uh, sure. like to sure. uh, conclude it with the one last thing here, right? I mean, so, I mean, at least my philosophy here is that basically is long term, right? So 2030 is what I'm looking for, right? I mean, there are probably some checkpoints to see whether my investment thesis is uh, breaking or not, right? In between, yeah. but at the same time, this is long term. And, and there are there are reasons for it, right? Uh, I have been an investor, uh, not a really good one, right? I mean, uh, but uh, I had uh, one one story. I will conclude that with one story, right? Sure. Uh, towards the end of uh, 2007, I had uh, one stock in my account, right? Um, only 200 shares, right? Um, I got got that stock like, you know, forgot about it, right? And then change jobs in between. Like, you know, for five years, I just forgot about it. Then one day, I'm basically like, you know, hearing quite a bit of news about the stock, right? I mean, it is like, I mean, uh, big time hype. It's a chip manufacturer, like, you know, big time hype. I mean, by now you can probably guess which one it is, right? Uh, I look at the account, it is like already 5X, right? It was a small amount of money, right? I mean, uh, so, but it had already 5X, right? Wow. Uh, from there, right? Okay, I'm like, okay, let me let me take the profits here, right? I mean, uh, guess what? From 2013 onwards, basically, like you know, uh, how much I lost out on another 20x. Wow. And the stock is Nvidia. Wow. So so basically, I mean, you need to have like you know this uh, an investment thesis, right? I mean, uh, when you invest in companies, right? I mean, and these kind of things, you realize only over a period uh, of multiple recessions, multiple failures, you know, you learn these kind of investment insights, right? You need to, uh, so that that that's the problem with basically like, you know, this is not growing fast enough, let me switch to the other one and then come back and then come back and go back and come back. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, it's uh, one, one more thing to add there, like, you know, Fidelity had this research uh, which they said, like, you know, the accounts with the massive returns were of mm -hmm. that people. You know why? Because, I mean, they didn't they didn't go and basically, like, you know, to deal with the, like, you know, <laughs> original investments that they had, actually, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is, you need to definitely, if you think that you need to recheck your thesis, right now right i mean when the stock is like i mean i don't know i mean what 30 percent down or uh at least for me right and uh, yeah imagine what uh, you will have to what decisions you will have to make when it is like you know 50 percent up are you going to sell it or are you in it for the 100 bucks game you know, I, I'm in. I'm in the for the long run. I think you know. I think <laughs> Palantir, Palantir Eva will will become one of the um, most important companies, perhaps one of the largest companies within the world, if my thesis plays through, or 
I don't think it will succeed at all. It's 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 a binary decision, I believe. I can't imagine this company, Palantir, you know, being around in, in 10 years from now, five years from now, but only still serving large clients. I can't see it. I think they have, you know, such a deep competitive lead when it comes to software. And this is the thing that Alex Karp was saying too. You know, you can buy Snowflake, um, but the, the, the software that Snowflake has, I believe, is is thinner. It's it's easily replicable. Um, you know, someone like Google could come along and, and take the lunch of Snowflake very easily. With Palantir, I seriously doubt that that could happen. Um, my, you know, the, the main reason I say that is because, number one, the products are so thick. Um, they've had ties within the government for 18 years. When you are within the government for 18 years, you, you, you bat battle test your software uh, within these scenarios. Um, and you can apply these lessons to the government, they're, they're, to, to the commercial side. So there are just yeah. domains in which Palantir has the ridiculously deep competitive moats in which I do not believe uh, are easily replaceable. Unless perhaps you get, you know, the world's best developers, every single one of them, put them in a room for five years, give them all the money and then see what happens. Maybe there's a case there to be made. But fundamentally, uh, I believe uh, pretty philosophically about investments that uh, when you invest within a company, uh, the most important metric to look at is humans. Uh, and it may sound so trivial at first, but a company at the core is the gathering of humans together in order yep. to create a set goal. When, when you know, if you want, if you look back at history, uh, when you when you look at these innovative companies, these loon shot companies, these breakthrough companies that change the world, it's the gathering of humans um, in the best effective manner in order to create these 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 ridiculously amazing products that change society forever. Um, I think you know, with the stock based compensation. It, it's very clear to me that they're gaining the best humans within the world. They already have a reputation for basically getting the best talent within society. Um, and I believe you're seeing that that really play out within within the software. Um, so I'm very optimistic for, for the long term. Uh, maybe my thesis will be completely wrong. I, I do want to note I'm in this for five, ten, perhaps even longer. Um, but my investment horizon when it comes to investing within innovation is, is very long. And I think that's probably uh, the wisest thing to do. Um, but obviously, no financial advice here, just uh, just our opinions. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that, right? I mean, and uh, don't forget, I mean, this is one of the hardest companies to get into, yeah. even even more difficult than like, you know, uh, yeah. Google or Facebook or, you know, uh, so, so they are definitely hiring really quality people, right? Uh, we'll see how this thing pans out in uh, the next uh, five to 10 years. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope we're good. Can I? Can I ask you one more question? Um, if you have time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you, so you mentioned about uh, your successful stock pick with Nvidia, uh, do you see similarities between uh, Palantir and Nvidia? Perhaps when it comes to tech, when it comes to culture, when it comes to structure, do you see you know maybe your top three similarities? A few different similarities you see between the two. If you could please touch upon that. It's a completely innovative market, right? I mean, uh, so you took. Uh, I invested in Nvidia basically. Um, at the time when uh, they had the graphics cards coming out and computing was slowly moving into that, right? I mean, that was my investment thesis, right? It is not like, I mean, I had written it out anywhere, right? I mean, if I had written it out, I would have had even outsized returns by figuring out why those graphic uh, cards are selling like crazy, right? I mean, for Bitcoin mining, basically, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... Uh, that was, uh, I mean, innovation is the key, right? I mean, uh, that is the main difference that I see. Hiring uh, 
uh, voice like you know nvidia also has a very good uh, talent pool that they are uh, dipping into right and uh, they are trying to solve hard problems right those mm. are the three things that i would say innovation hard problems that they are trying to solve and uh, they are not nipping at the surface of basically like you know uh, the problem basically they are trying to go deep and basically like you know into that problem area and trying to solve it in a very sustainable manner right uh, Sure, I, I totally agree. Um, I had one thing on my mind that I wanted to say, if I can remember it quickly. Um, oh, this was it. I think people underestimate, just on the last note before we wrap up, uh, um, I think people underestimate how much society changes within a period of 20, 30 years. I mean, uh, when you look at kind yeah. of, uh, you know, maybe people that are 70, 80 years old now, uh, society is almost unrecognizable. It's, it's perhaps overwhelming in some cases. Yeah. Uh, this. That for me, the reason I kind of started this brand, this this just channel, um, and the ecosystem of content around innovation was is, is basically fundamentally because I believe that society in twenty years from now is going to be completely unrecognizable. And you may get some stock predictions wrong, but with the case of Palantir, I believe that this is a company in which you know I'm reaching into the future. I'm identifying why they're going to be fundamental towards this new future that I envision. Um, and I'm tracking it along the way. Uh, so the main point to end on, uh, from, from my side at least, is that I think people need to recognize, you know, stop focusing on the day-to-day -day news, um, look at the fundamentals of the company. Innovation really does move society forward, and, and within the next 20 years, society will be totally unrecognizable. It's probably one of the, the most interesting kind of topics I always think about, you know, where is innovation going to come from? What companies are going to be at the lead? Is Tesla going to be there? Are we going to have automated driving networks? Uh, you know, well, what will Palantir's role be? Um, it, it's a really interesting topic uh, that I like to think about. So that would be my final two cents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that, right? I mean, uh, the, I mean, one one key area that that would have an impact there for Palantir, right? I mean, there is basically like you know, imagine the power of computing mm. is also going up, right? There are so many initiatives in the quantum computing space that is uh, basically like you know, nearing that uh, quantum supremacy, basically, right? I mean, uh, and. Uh, that's what right i mean you you try to start digging uh, deeper there uh, one of the companies that uh, parenters pack invested is uh, rigetti rigetti systems basically right uh, they are into quantum computing i mean uh, so so there are some connections there right i mean primarily i mean imagine if one piece there right i mean healthcare if they are trying to analyze the data for drug, drug trials right enormous amount of data right and uh, you need a massive amount of compute uh, to to analyze uh, to do analyze that data and come up with that drug discovery or basically analyze that drug discovery uh, data right i mean and uh, imagine what that combination of like you know the capability to connect this data together and basically like you know compute it faster in that new world what what would be the implications right i mean uh, in just one of those spaces right i mean so you're absolutely right i mean uh, the the world is going to be not exactly the same even in 10 years right i mean there are you can already see uh, signs of that right i mean like with companies like tesla and you mm -hmm. know i didn't understand the tesla philosophy like you know up until a year back I mean, that's probably a, a completely different corner, uh, corner topic for a different conversation between us. But, uh, you know, uh, 
massive implications there like you know in the next 10 years how technology evolves right i mean i'm a big believer in kathy wood's underlying thesis yes. around yeah. around that only in the thesis not on the <laughs> exact topics or or the philosophy of basically like you know uh, switching between uh, trading and trading out of some of these things right i mean uh, i don't know i mean she might have her own reasons for that right i mean but uh, the underlying that thesis if you read that arc strategy uh, document right i mean investment strategy documents uh, it's mind blowing basically yeah. right i mean and many of those things that they mentioned there will happen the mm. only question is whether it is 5 years 10 years 15 years right i mean uh, that's the only question right uh, yeah and uh, a company like palander uh, with a clean balance sheet enough cash on hand uh, is a place i would i would uh, like you know at least spark some of my money for that basically to near play uh, Uh, it is kind of a game where it is basically like you know heads heads you win basically a hundred bagger right uh, tails you don't lose much basically you know yeah I I think um I I agree with you and Kathy Wood I think she got she's got wrong the valuation she she she's kind of forgotten the idea of valuating a company <laughs> um she I think she she got a bit too carried away but I see this all the time too the the fundamental philosophy. Uh, from Kathy Wood I totally agree with I, I think it's a very optimistic philosophy I wouldn't say it's naive I think you know in comparison to uh, the dot com era uh, now actual tangible change is occurring in society and you can kind of you can visit you can see this you can visualize this within everyday life and and within you know startups etc and so forth um so so I totally agree on that front and also what you mentioned when it comes to innovation uh, a company like Palantir Um what someone said this to me recently a company like Palantir doesn't just have one S curve it has multiple S curves yeah, because yeah. the co- because the company not only have are they having more products new releases um but every single domain in society as we move into industry 4.0 as we move into the internet of things these are all domains in which interconnectivity is at the forefront um therefore yeah. this this means that you know Palantir literally has their tentacles in every single place Uh, in society in my hypothetical uh, kind of kind of uh, prediction for the future um so this truly could be an, an entirely disruptive company um it will be interesting to look back on this in in 10 years and 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 hopefully will be uh will be correct um but yeah i i i totally agree with everything you said yeah 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 the the the, the importance of having that fiscally responsible clean balance sheet yeah. is also very high right i mean in in this kind of a, a play right i mean and the the management no matter what you say about the management they do know that right yeah. uh, you have like i mean 2 billion dollars in cash not that uh, another billion line of credit i mean you are set for next uh, five years right what, what do you, so so in the latest earnings they they have 2 billion i think 2.5 on hand and they also raised another i believe 900 billion or 900 million or something so it's, it's like big big money that they're raising do you think this could hint towards a potential acquisition or something i i struggle to believe for a second that you know palantir is just raising just raising money for the sake of it i i would tend to believe that perhaps this is for some more strategic purpose like an acquisition or something I, i doubt if i mean uh, there are enough players out there right i mean because i mean in this this uh, at least from the traits of it this seems to be a company that believes in organic growth mm-hmm. right uh, you could definitely see basically like you know uh, more hiring 
that is probably what uh, they are building the war chest for. And uh, rather than the SBC, they might, uh, you know, uh, just start, uh, like, you know, uh, paying sure. in cash or oh, yeah, sure. even start doing some buybacks to offset yeah. the SBC. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, right? So that's the other thing. I mean, when when we say that, basically, when the community thinks or says that, like, you know, this is uh, probably, like, I mean, a 100 bag, it doesn't mean that, basically, it need to go to a $2 trillion market gap, mm. right? They could, I mean, they have, uh, they are generating cash. They will slowly start buying back. Mm. Right. I mean, they, they know that they, they, it was one of the mistakes that the company had was this this bigger flaw, right? Uh, and uh, I'm sure in the long run, they will basically like, you know, use some of this money to do buybacks, you know? Uh, so, and one of the, once buybacks happen, basically they can pretty much like, you know, uh, reduce the SPC impact and generate, pretty much generate the earnings, basically, right? I mean, uh, improve your PBE like that. Right. Yeah. Um, w- w- on, on, on the final few notes, uh, uh, just thinking back to the earnings, I totally agree with what you said, by the way, um, that the US commercial growth uh, for the earnings was exponential. And we have had a slight blip off by about 10% or so. But but if you look over this, you know, the past few years, the US commercial growth has been exponential. Uh, the COO also said recently um, that uh, they, they focused their strategy on the US commercial side specifically. And they're crystallizing that strategy. And now they're ready to kind of deploy this elsewhere into the world. For me, that's a very optimistic image. You know, you see 100 plus percent growth um, within the US commercial yeah. growth. Um, so so I, I'm, you know, commercial side, I'm incredibly optimistic, similarly with the government. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where this investment goes uh, within the future. If, the, if there's anything you want to say, please do let me know. Uh, but on my half, that, uh, that was all. It's been a pleasure to speak to you uh, this far. Yeah, uh, th- thanks for bringing this uh, together. And uh, thanks for, like, you know, to the entire community, entire Paltrow community, right? I mean, uh, I'm a regular viewer of uh, uh, your channel, Amis channel, like, you know, course Straps channel and the Friday sessions, you know. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. You all bring a lot into this community and, like, you know, educate a lot of uh, investors. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll have to do this again sometime, maybe on Tesla uh, in the future. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, I hope you have a great day. Uh, Thank and you I so think, much. I, I, I think people will really, really find value in this. Have a great day. It's great to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you.